you to think about this question for a moment. If you could change one thing in life, what would it be? Think about your answer. If you could change one thing in life, what would it be? You might want to be a millionaire. You might want to have a better job. You might want to be younger. You might want to look younger. You might want to be older. You might want to look older. Who knows? You might want your mental or physical health to be restored. You might want all kinds of things. But I just want you to think and hold that question in your mind as we go through today. If you could change one thing in life, what would it be? There was a survey done in the UK last year and it found that 50% of people pray, which is odd seeing as that really isn't the percentage of people who have a meaningful faith in God. So 50% of people, including a number of atheists, will pray. And they will pray, particularly when either they or someone in their family or a close friend is ill. It seems that Ill, illness is one of those things that almost drives people to their knees and helps them to call on the name of the Lord in some way. So do you pray? If you pray, how do you pray? And what are you praying for? What are you praying for? Well, we're looking again this morning at Paul's amazing letter to the Ephesians. And if you were here last week, we looked at a question from the first part of chapter 1, which was all about our identity. We asked that question, who are you? And we saw the amazing answers in the first part of the chapter, that we're children of God, we're forgiven, we're chosen, we're adopted, we're receivers of grace. So Paul, if you like, at the beginning of chapter 1, starts it off with a whole section on blessings. This is who you are. This is who you've called to be. And then in verse 15, it's as if he sort of changes tack a little bit and he starts to pray in the first part of the chapter and prays that the first part of what we've read about will become reality. So if you've got a Bible in front of you, we're going to read um, from verses 15 to 23 of chapter 1. If you've got a Bible in front of you in the church ones, they're page 1008. It's entitled Thanksgiving and Prayer. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love of all his people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that can be invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. What amazing words those are, aren't they? Keep that page open. If you've got your Bible in front of you, we'll keep referring to that as we go through. I pray. You'll probably be quite glad to hear that. Um, possibly my favorite way of praying is when I walk the dog. Um, because when I'm out walking the dog, if, particularly if it's just me and the dog, it's quite peaceful. 
the dog doesn't tend to engage in much conversation, so I sort of have time to sort of digest what I'm thinking, time to listen to God, time to speak. Um, I do walk with my eyes open, just in case you're wondering on that front. But I find that is the best place for me to pray. I find for me that is the way that I pray sort of most fervently, if you like. But I don't know if you've ever done a prayer analysis of what you pray. Anyone ever done that? Sat back and thought, actually, what do I pray for? What is my prayer life all about? Well, here's mine. This is what I find myself praying for. Quite often, I start off by praying for everyday situations. I think it's John Ortberg um, says, when you pray, get those things to God that actually are bothering you. Because until you've done that, actually, it's very difficult to focus on all kinds of other things. And I think there's some truth in that. We need to be praying for these things that are on our hearts and lives. And so, like this last week, you know, my prayers included things like, Lord, please help the church meeting to go okay. Please help that to be a really positive time for us as a church together. Nat was on a, a school trip this week, so another prayer, it was perhaps not a long prayer, was please help him to have a shower. <laughs> that prayer was graciously answered when he had three, all in one day. I pray for people who are ill. You know, I've got a friend who is seriously ill, and I will regularly pray for him, for God's comfort, God's peace, and God's healing power in his life. Now, all of this is really worthy stuff to pray for. You, know, you find this throughout the pages of Scripture. You find that, that Jesus will pray for the sick. Jesus will pray for all kinds of day-to-day situations. And Jesus will tell us that our Heavenly Father cares for us and cares for everything about our life. Listen to this from Luke chapter 12. It says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. I always interpret that slightly differently in my case. But don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. You know, God knows every intimate detail about us and cares about us at that kind of depth and that kind of understanding. It says in the book of James, we're told to pray for wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom... You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding faults, and it will be given to you. We're told in the New Testament to pray for our national leaders, aren't we? You know, and this week, they certainly need our prayers. We should be praying for those in authority, those in political authority in our country. We know there are times when I compare what I pray for with what's going on here in Ephesians and what actually happens in the Lord's Prayer, and I sometimes think my prayers are a little bit one-dimensional, a little bit one-dimensional. Because they're all about the here and now, and yet quite often miss these kind of big prayers about, help me to align myself to God's will. Help me to know God more. Help me to see more of who God is. You know, when our boys were little, yeah, we still do it now, but we have progressed a bit, but we would sit at the side of the bed and pray for them every night. And we went through this sort of ritual of who we prayed for, and it would be, God, I pray for Grandma for Grandad, for Pepper, who's my parents' dog. Um, And every night for about three years, we had prayers for a friend of mine called Ralph. For no apparent reason, Ralph got very blessed with prayers. If he happens to be listening online, he has been blessed over the years by these kind of prayers. And these, if you like, are the small everyday prayers. Those kind of prayers that a child could pray, that we, we just shoot these prayers up to God. I don't know about you, but I also find myself praying prayers that are just really to make my life more palatable. Do you ever find yourself doing that? Um, Sat in the dentist's waiting room. Dear God, please help me not to need a filling. 
Now, what am I actually praying? Am I praying for a miracle that God will fill my teeth? Or am I praying that in the last six months, since I last went to the dentist, I've actually cleaned my teeth well enough so that I don't need a filling? What am I praying for? I actually found myself praying that when our car went in for a service, it wouldn't need any new tires. What am I praying for? What, what actually am I praying for? I'm not going to mention Claire's driving that wears our tires down significantly. She said you should mention that, but I'm not going to mention that. She told me to mention it. She's nodding. <laughs> but some of these things, if we're briefly honest, when we analyze what we pray for, it's help my life to be a little bit easier, God. Help life to just be a bit more straightforward. Help life to be cheaper. Help it to be a little bit better, whatever it is. And then we read this prayer of Paul at the beginning of Ephesians. And we see that straight away what Paul does is he takes our eyes off our everyday needs, off those kind of things, you like the sounds and the smells and whatever it is of human existence, and he starts to pray a very different kind of prayer. Now, this is not to say that all this kind of stuff isn't great. It's really important that we do all this kind of stuff. But it's like an extra dimension to prayer that I find quite often in my own life can get overlooked. See, God calls us into relationship, doesn't he? This is what this prayer is all about, about knowing God at a deeper level. And so Paul launches into this prayer for the Ephesians, and he doesn't pray for them straight away saying, I want to pray for you living in the hassles of Ephesus with that great big temple to Artemis down the road. You know, I want to pray that actually your meeting place in this home will be um, big enough for you to meet. You know, it's, it's none of that. He starts by praying, not for the practical, but for the spiritual, for the relational stuff with God. Over the summer, we went um, to a place called Morphinevin. I don't know if anyone's been there on the Lynn Peninsula in North Wales. It's an absolutely gorgeous place when the sun is shining. You know, the, the views, the colours of the sea. And we went for this walk around this headland. And the waves were really crashing. And you could see the waves, like, breaking over the rocks. And we, we saw this seal. It, well, in fact, it was almost the size of a walrus. It was an enormous seal swimming in the sea. And we, we sat for a while watching this seal... And then we came round the headland, and we came to this um, building. And it's an old watchtower, a Coast Guard watchtower. And it had a sign outside it. It's still being um, staffed, this place. And it said, come and have a look, see what we do. You can't resist something like that, can you? So we had to go and have a look. And you climb up this tower. I mean, it's not a high tower, but it's, you, know, you climb up, up this little ladder in the middle of it. And as you climb that tower, naturally, your gaze changes. You stop looking at the seal and the stuff that's going on on the beach and you look outwards to the horizon because that's what it's designed to do. And if you look through the binoculars that are in there, you see that actually that sea that looks empty isn't empty at all. There's actually boats out there that the man who's manning this place is actually looking at, keeping an eye on, making sure they're safe. Now, we didn't get to do it, but if you looked through a telescope that was in there, you could probably see who was on those boats and who the boat was made by. You know, what looked empty was actually full of precious human lives. And so what I think we've got in this prayer, in this passage, is an actual invitation to come and pray for a bigger look at who God is. To come and pray, to lift our gaze upwards and to become more like Christ. You know, there aren't any situations in life that I've come across that our perspective isn't changed when we get a better view of who God is. There won't be anything that we're facing today that if we know God at a deeper level, we won't be transformed by that. You know, if today you're, you're facing difficult situations in life, 
then actually gazing on Christ, praying this kind of prayer, knowing God at a deeper level, is transformative. Because it changes our view. It takes us up to the tower, gets our eyes off the ground, and helps us to look forward at who Jesus is. So let's look at what this prayer entails. Verses 15 and 16. Paul starts off giving thanks for the Christians in Ephesus. When we pray, when, when you give thanks for anything, you know, it, it immediately stops you from thinking just about yourself, doesn't it? You know, as we've thought about harvest today, as we've thought about what God has blessed us with, we can't do that without thinking about the needs of other people and without thinking about blessings and giving thanks to God. And so what he does is he starts off by saying, thank you, God. Thank you for this amazing group of people in Ephesus, these people who love Christ and love one another. Verse 16, it also talks about remembering you, bringing to mind these faithful people of God. Do you spend time remembering what God has done? Is that something you do? I think it's really important, isn't it? You know, testimony, but self-testimony, retelling ourselves the story of what a God has done in our life. And then verse 17, we come on to an asking part of the prayer. But this is not a shopping list. This is not a kind of, you know, Lord, help the sunshine as I'm going out for a walk type of prayer. But this is a prayer for a deeper comprehension and understanding of who God is. This is, in a very real sense, if you like, looking back at chapter 1, and Paul saying, I pray that all this stuff we've talked about may not just be something you know up here, but something that resonates in your heart, in your life, in every part of your being. If you could change one thing in your life, I wonder whether it would be that you'd want to know God more. I'm not going to ask you to put up your hands if that was what you wanted to change in life. But I wonder if that would be something that actually we would want to know. That deeper knowledge of who God is. John Stott, the the commentator, he um, writes on this kind of passage that generally, when it comes to knowing God more, Christians move into sort of two extremes. We often do that. Um, And he says, actually, on one side, you've got people who who aren't secure in Christ, who haven't really read the first part of chapter 1 and sort of are always thinking, God, you know, I just need more, I need more. I'm not secure in who I am. And he said, actually, this passage won't allow for that. And then he says, right at the other end of the spectrum, there are those people who are sort of so secure in who they are in Christ, but it's just sort of intellectual, that they don't pray for the expectancy that God will move in the here and now. There's not that sense of excitement that there is something imminent that God wants to do in our lives and that God wants to change. And he simply says, you know, Scripture won't tolerate either extreme. We are totally confident. We are totally spiritually blessed now. The identity that we talked about last week is real, but there is always more of that identity for us to experience, more of that knowing for us to get our teeth into, greater levels of faith and security for us to understand. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ but we don't yet comprehend all of it. And this side of eternity, there will always be more. There is always more for us to understand. Verse 17, we get the prayer as well for wisdom and revelation, again, so that you may know him better. Do you want to know God more? Do you want to know God more? Is this the kind of prayer that we should be praying on a daily basis? I've shared this story before, but it seems um, probably quite relevant to, to share it again, really. About a decade ago, 
quite unexpectedly, and I'm not going to go into the full details, um, I was taken really quite seriously ill. And um, at the time, I remember going to the GP, and the GP said, we're really concerned you've got a brain tumor. We don't know what this is, so, you know, this, this could be really serious. And at that time, um, you know, when you're faced with those kind of things, it's really hard to know how to feel, how to behave. You know, there were times when I'd look at the boys and think, I, I can't even comprehend what this could mean if, if life finishes fairly soon. And it was a really difficult time for us as a family. And the, the GP said, you know, you need to go for a scan straight away. We need to find out what's going on here. And so I remember going into this MRI scanner. And if you've ever had an MRI scan, they are not pleasant things to happen. All this banging going on round about you. And I'm laid there thinking, I do not know what is coming. I have no idea. I don't know whether I'll come out of here to be told, actually, yeah, this is it. This is, your life is, is going to come to an end much shorter than perhaps I had hoped for or really wanted. But I remember lying there, and it's, it's funny how God works, isn't it? The words of, and can it be, suddenly popped into my head. You know, the great Charles Wesley hymn. And that last verse, bold I approach the eternal throne. Now, I didn't know what was going to happen. I had no idea. But actually, in that moment, those words reminded me that whatever happened, I was held. Whatever happens, this was reality. Whatever the next chapter of our life entailed, whether it be long or short, this was the glorious reality to which I had been called. Now, I don't know whether anyone was praying this passage over us. I don't know whether anyone was actually reading this and saying, would you help Jonathan to know, in this moment, God at a greater level, and to understand this at a greater level? Now, thankfully, I was okay, I am okay, and I'm still here. But I think from that time on, I think having read these words, these words took on a totally different meaning. This is about knowing God Quite often, when there is nothing else to know and nothing else to cling on to but God himself, sometimes our situations don't change. But God remains God in all those circumstances. And since then, these verses for me are a huge reminder that prayer isn't just about changing today, but it's about seeing today in the context of tomorrow. What's our tomorrow? Well, it's amazing, isn't it? If we're disciples of Jesus, our tomorrow is held in Christ for all eternity. Verse 18, know the hope to which he has called you. The invitation to climb up the watchtower, to look out and see the horizon of God's eternity, breaking like the ocean in front of us. There is detail that we cannot see of what is to come. It's about resting on the words of who we are that Paul will speak here to us. But he has more to underline in this prayer as well. Look at verse 19. His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. The very same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is working in you. If you're a disciple of Jesus, that is the reality. It's not a slimline version. It's not a zero-calorie version of the power. It's not a reduced version of the power of God. But it's that very same power that brought Jesus out of the tomb is transforming us as we follow Jesus. Now, this is the kind of prayer that if we take it in and pray it over ourselves and pray it for one another, 
is transformative, isn't it? To be transformed by that same power of God. If I could change anything in my life, would it be to pray these kind of prayers and to see them be reality in my heart and my life? I just want you to think for a moment, think back to what that situation was you you thought about at the beginning. All of us will have things that perhaps we want to see changed in our life. It may be at the moment you're praying for a miracle, you're praying that something of that power of God will be at work in your life or your family's life. It's appropriate that we pray those kind of prayers. We need to pray in faith that God will work in the here and now. But I want to ask another question on that front. How would knowing God more How would knowing Christ more change that particular situation that you thought of? Now, I realize this can sound a little bit simplistic and possibly a little trite, and I don't want to sound like that at all this morning, but you know the more we know God, the less anxious we become. You know the more we know God, the more confident we become in who we are in him. You know the more we know God, the greater sense of security we have that we are held in this life and into the next the greater sense of just being able to rest in this truth on a day-to-day basis. And so for me, I'm left with a really significant question. And it's probably this. Why don't I pray like this more? What is it that stops me praying in this kind of way? Yes, alongside all that other stuff. But what is it that actually is stopping me praying in this kind of transformative way to know God more? You see, for Paul, he will pray for both types of prayers through his letters. Uh, Paul um, prays or references prayer 29 times in his epistles. It's probably slightly more because some of them are actually multiple prayers. But as you go through those, three quarters of those prayers are for a changed spiritual reality. They are not for a practical on-the-ground type thing. But they're about knowing God more, knowing the character of God more. And I think I'm right here. You can come and correct me if I'm not right. Um, but I think I'm right. There is only one prayer that Paul ever prays that is for his own changed circumstances, like a very personal prayer. And it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10, when he prays for the removal of the thorn in the flesh. I'll just read it. He says, I could have become proud of myself because of the amazing and wonderful things God has shown me. So I was given a problem that caused pain in my body. It is a messenger from Satan to make me suffer. Three times I begged the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is all you need. My power is strongest when you are weak. Paul prays a personal prayer, and what does God say? Actually, I don't need to answer that prayer in the way you want, because I am enough in that situation. My grace is enough. Knowing me is enough. Ephesians 1 type prayer is enough. And as you look through Paul's other prayers, I'm not going to read all 29 examples, but just to give a few of them, In Romans 15, verse 5, he will pray to have the mind of Christ, to know what it is that Christ wants. In Philippians 4, he will pray for the peace of Christ to be real. In 1 Thessalonians 5, to pray for holiness and Christ-likeness. In 2 Thessalonians 2, for comfort and strength in the word. These are not these kind of prayers about the little things of everyday life, but they're prayers that we will be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ who has called us. Prayers for growth, prayers for a changed spiritual reality, prayers for discipleship. And so I'd like to offer as a challenge this morning. As we pray as a church, as we pray in our prayer meetings, in our own individual life, 
can we try and pick up some of this language of prayer? Yes, we need to do all the other stuff. Of course we do. But to actually pray some of these big New Testament prayers over one another, that we may know God at a deeper level. Because that will transform us. That will change us. That will get our eyes off just today and put our eyes onto eternity. And so Paul, having prayed, he goes back, he carries on, and he moves into a bit which is sort of like a passage of praise at the end. Look at verses 21 to 23. Having praised at the start of the chapter, prayed in the middle, he then goes back to praise. So if you like, this is a prayer sandwich. Praise either end with prayer in the middle. Christ, whose name is above every name that could be used. And this would really resonate with the people of Ephesus. They were part of the Roman Empire, and the Roman emperors used to take on all these grandioso titles onto themselves. They thought they were gods, and they would give themselves these huge lists of names. Even when the Roman Empire became Christianized, you know, Constantine and the emperors afterwards would call themselves co-equal of the apostles, and this, that, and the other, have all these fancy titles that were actually meaningless. And actually what Paul is saying is, forget all that. The one who has the titles is Jesus. The one whose name is above every name is Christ. Christ who is head of over all things, head of the body, the church, who will fulfill all things. So back to that question. If you could change one thing in life, what would it be? What would it be? Can I encourage you to pray the prayer that that one thing will be that we know God more? Sounds very simple, but it is a thing that will transform us more than anything else. So what I'd like us to do is, I'm going to read this passage again. I know we did this last week, but I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to pray this prayer over us as a prayer. If you want to put your name into it as I'm praying it, do that. If you want to pray for somebody else, do that. As soon as I finish doing this, and Will is going to come up and carry on leading us in prayer from there. Let's um, just be still for a moment. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all his people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand and in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that can be invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way.